Eldridge Tyler was driving a long, straight, two-lane road in Nebraska when his cell phone rang. It was very late in the afternoon. He was taking his granddaughter home after buying her shoes. His truck was a crew cab Silverado, the color of a day-old newspaper, and the kid was flat on her back on the small rear seat. She was not asleep. She was lying there wide awake with her legs held up. She was staring fascinated at the huge white sneakers wobbling around in the air two feet above her face. She was making strange sounds with her mouth. She was eight years old. Tyler figured she was a late developer. Tyler's phone was basic enough to be nothing fancy, but complex enough to have different ringtones against different numbers. Most played the manufacturer's default tune, but four was set to sound a low, urgent note halfway between a fire truck siren and a submarine's dive klaxon. And that sound was what Tyler heard in the late afternoon on the long, straight, two-lane road in Nebraska, ten miles south of the outlet store and twenty miles north of home. So he fumbled the phone up from the console and hit the button and raised it to his ear and said, Yes? A voice said, We might need you. Tyler said, Me? Well, you and your rifle, like before. Tyler said, Might? At this stage it's only a precaution. What's going on? There's a guy sniffing around. Close? Hard to say. How much does he know? Some of it. Not all of it yet. That's good. Who is he? Nobody. A stranger, just a guy. But he got involved. We think he was in the service. We think he was a military cop. Maybe he didn't lose the cop habit. Connections? None at all that we can see. He won't be missed. He's a drifter. Like a hobo. He blew in like a tumbleweed. Now he needs to blow out again. Description? He's a big guy, the voice said. Six five at least. Probably two fifty. Last seen wearing a big old brown parka and a wool cap. He moves funny, like he's stiff, like he's hurting bad. Okay. So, where and when? We want you to watch the barn, the voice said. All day tomorrow. We can't let him see the barn. Not now. If we don't get him tonight, he's going to figure it out eventually. He's going to head over there and take a look. He's going to walk right into it? Just like that? He thinks there are four of us. He doesn't know there are five. That's good. Shoot him if you see him. I will. The barn had been built long ago, when moderate size and wooden construction had been appropriate for Nebraska agriculture. The main door was a slider built of great balks of timber banded together with iron, hung off an iron rail by iron wheels, but the gradual tilt of the building had jammed it solid in its tracks. The only way in was the Judas hole, which was a small, conventional door inset in the slider, a little left of its center, a little smaller than man-sized. Eldridge Tyler was staring at that small door through the scope on his rifle. He had been in position an hour early, well before dawn, a precaution he considered prudent. He had driven his truck off the road and followed winding tractor ruts through the dark, and he had parked in an ancient three-sided shelter 
designed long ago to keep spring rain off burlap fertilizer sacks. He had shut down the big V-8 and stepped back to the shelter's entrance and tied a tripwire across it, made of thin electrical cable insulated with black plastic set shin-high to a tall man. Then he had walked back to his truck, and he had climbed into the load bed, and he had stepped on the roof of the cab, and he had passed his rifle and a canvas tote bag up onto a half-loft, built like a shelf under the shelter's peaked roof. He had levered himself up after them, and crawled forward, and eased the loose louver out of the ventilation hole in the loft's gable wall, which would give him a clear view of the barn exactly a hundred and twenty yards north just as soon as there was light in the sky. Soon the pale morning sun was low in the east, and its soft gray light was coming in almost horizontal across the dormant land. Tyler reached back and pulled two plastic packages of long-grain rice from his canvas tote bag, brand new from the grocery store, five pounds each. He stacked them under the rifle's forestock and tamped the fine walnut down into them. He snuggled behind the butt and put his eye back to the lycoscope and laid the crosshairs on the top left corner of the door. He eased them down and eased them left. He laid his finger gently against the trigger. He breathed in and breathed out. The air was damp and heavy, cold and dense, the kind of air that keeps a baseball inside the park, the kind of air that cradles a bullet and holds it straight and true. Tyler waited. He used the dead time visualizing the sequence of possible events. He imagined the big man in the brown coat stepping into the scope's field of view, stopping, standing still, turning his back, putting his hand on the handle. A hundred and twenty yards, a single, high-velocity round, the end of the road. 